Welcome to the Battlefest podcast, the place to be to catch up on all debates and discussions from the Battle of Ideas Festival 2021. The following debate is called, Is Leveling Up Really Leveling Down? The Great Inequality Debate. In the chair is Kevin Rooney. Welcome to uh, Leveling Up, The Great Inequality Debate. Now, my name's Kevin Rooney. I'll be chairing this session. I want to get stuck in quickly because it's only a 45-minute session. I want to say thank you to the Anne Rand Center UK who are sponsoring this session. And speaking first, we have Don Watkins on my left, who will speak for a maximum of five minutes. And he's the best-selling author of many books, including Free Market Revolution and Equal is Unfair. So hint, hint, that might give you a clue where Don is generally coming from. <coughs> then on my right, we have Hilary Salt, who's an actuary and founder of First Actuarial. It's hard to pronounce that. And she's worked extensively with the Communication Workers Trade Union. So without further ado, bang on time, with 45 minutes to spare. Don, give us your thoughts, please. So my kind of driving passion in everything that I do and write on is I'm really concerned with human flourishing, which is each individual's ability to make the most of his or her own life. And so when I approach this issue, I think of what are the kind of requirements for human flourishing at the broadest level? And the way I think about it is, is that it's freedom and an empowering philosophy. And my basic objection on the issue of economic inequality is that the people who are framing issues in terms of inequality are often pushing for anti-freedom policies, and they're using arguments that promote a disempowering philosophy. And I want to focus on that last point to make clear what I mean, because I I think this is the most important part I want to get across, which is there's a really compelling argument against inequality. And that compelling argument is, look, if you went out there and you earned your wealth then certainly you would deserve it, but that actually human life consists of a whole bunch of stuff that's outside of your control. Your success or your failure is driven fundamentally by luck. And like in that case, it seems like wouldn't it be fair that we engage in massive redistribution in order to even out that unfairness? And look, that's very plausible because there's no question that we not everything in our lives is under our control. We didn't pick our parents, we didn't pick our genes, we face obstacles and injustices that were not of our choosing. But what I do think we have, to the extent that a society is free, is fundamental control over our lives. And if you teach people that they can't succeed by their own choices and own efforts, if you teach them that it is just an issue of luck, then you disempower the people who need encouragement the most, and you teach us to engage in envy. And I think that is poisonous to a polity, and it's just completely backward because when people earn a fortune in a free society, it doesn't suck opportunities away from other people and it doesn't come at others' expenses. It creates new opportunities. This is why people immigrate to the United States all the time. It's not, even though they might be moving to a country where now as a poor person, they're more unequal, there's way more opportunity because of the success of other people in society. And I think we should celebrate that success. But Let me just add, and we can talk about this more, there are many things that people concerned with inequality 
point to hardships and injustices, that I share those concerns, but I don't view them as an issue of, well, the problem is that other people are so successful. I view many of the, the problems and injustices that inequality critics point to as real and important, but we shouldn't see them as the result of the fact that there's a gap between what one person makes and another person makes. It's about how we treat individuals. And so that's kind of the framework from which I think about these set of issues. Brilliant and lovely and, and concise. Hilary, give us your thoughts. Okay. So I, I think we're kind of caught up in this blizzard of the word equality, aren't we? And there's a, a widespread belief that, that everybody believes in inequality. But I think a lot of that discussion is definitely based on things like the identity issues, you know, the uh, gender, race. And actually, what the real uh, equality that I think is much more important, uh, which is equality of... Um, in the economy, in income and wealth. So, you know, what you might call class politics. Um, spoiler alert, I think that's quite important. That is all kind of delegitimized and, and, and relegated uh, out of the equality discussion. Now, I think you can say that, you know, certainly the UK government uh, in its levelling up agenda, uh, Biden in his budget with that an explicit focus on um, reducing income equality, there's, there's a profession to a belief uh, in greater economic fairness. But it's, I think it's quite interesting that, what, that when, people, when people take matters into their own hands, when our railway workers strike for higher pay, that some, some, somehow these people are not, not that keen on uh, income, in, income equality anymore. And I think, I think the, the, what's quite interesting about the, the people who, who want to focus on equality all the time is that they very much focus on the very poor and the very rich. And, and that, that focus, I think, is you can say that partly that's, that's because they're worried about social fragmentation. But I think it's also because um, there's a kind of cynicism towards growth, a cynicism towards um, making, uh, making more, producing more, uh, lifting people nationally and internationally uh, out of poverty. And, and I think, you know, we have to believe uh, strongly in growth in order to, to do that, lifting people out of, of, of poverty. Um, on Don's arguments, I think it's, it's nice uh, at a kind of theoretical level to imagine a world where, uh, in a you know, perfect free market world, where uh, hard workers prosper and people succeed on, on merit. But I think that is just a kind of imagined world. And in the real world, there are very definite structural barriers to people, uh, you know, making uh, the, the best of, of themselves. I think Michael Sandel's written quite persuasively about the limits to the idea that we live in a, a meritocratic society. So he argues it's not just that we fail to live up to uh, the promise of meritocracy, uh, but the meritocracy is kind of turned on its head. And, you know, the rich do always end up at the top and they need a kind of credible backstory to that and, and therefore the myth uh, of meritocracy. And it's really difficult, I think, in the UK to, to believe in meritocracy when you uh, look at the, uh, the makeup of our our supposedly more meritocratic cabinet, still 60% privately educated. Um, and I think it's really important to, to remove those barriers face, facing the poor. Recent research from my professional body, uh, the Institute of Faculty of Actuaries, uh, showed that things like the poverty premium and insurance are still really important. So if you live in, a, in a, a, an area, a deprived area, not only is your car insurance very, very expensive, but then you're charged even more because you can't afford to pay for it in one go and you pay by, by monthly premiums. You know, how is a worker, uh, even working very hard, going to get over those structural barriers? 
So where does that leave the, the, the levelling up agenda? I think if we need to, if we want to lift up the living standards of people left behind in our old northern um, industrial heartlands and our coastal uh, and rural communities, I think we need to start talking a lot more about, not about how we slice the cake better, how we, uh, we indulge in the kind of envy you talked about of the rich. We need to talk about, you know, how we grow that cake uh, really significantly. And I think that's, a, that's an economic discussion. Uh, it's not an equality discussion. It's an economic discussion. It means allowing some of those zombie companies to, to die. It means significant investment in infrastructure, including, uh, I think, nuclear energy. Uh, and and it, it, a lot of those things, the market has shown it cannot do those things by itself. It needs state intervention and it needs uh, you know, public agency to, to be, to be recognised. And I think all of those things need us to, to reinvigorate those political ideas uh, of universalism, uh, perfectibility and progress. Thank you. Give them both a round of applause. <laughs> Guys, I'm actually, I'm actually going to ask you both a question, but I don't want you to answer. I'll go out to the audience straight away and you can pick it up if you want to pick it up. Want to take three or four people from the audience. And I apologize for the embarrassingly naive question, right? And you go, that's a stupid question. But I don't think it's a stupid question. One of my students raised this in the class not long ago, one of my sixth formers. So here's my question to you, Dawn. So you got 7% of the schools in Britain are private schools. They send, roughly speaking, about 50%, give or take a couple of percentage points, to um, Oxbridge. And then the people who go to Oxbridge leave Oxbridge and by large to get incredibly well-paid jobs. Right. And then guess what? They have a lovely big house. They earn lots of money in the bank. And when they have kids, guess what? They send their kids to private schools. They look after them. They give them advantages. Those kids go from the private school often to Oxbridge. And so the, the cycle is perpetual, said the student. And she said, that's unfair. That's not right. And when I said, but there's a meritocracy. Some people, you know, doesn't matter where you come from. You can work hard and you can rise up the ladder. By the way, this particular, I won't tell you where the student was from, I'll leave her estate out, it was a very poor estate. And she said, get a grip, sir. One or, two, <laughs> one or two people might get up the ladder that way, but the vast majority don't. And that's the problem, question mark. Right? I want you to tackle that when we uh, come back. Hilary, your questions. What do you think of, do you like Tony Blair? Yes or no, one word. No. No, okay. So Tony Blair says, Tony Blair says to all the people who moan, um, that you're not for equality. And he says, when you have equality, often in most societies and countries, here's the line of equality. And they're all the same, fair enough. He says, but in my country, Britain, what I'm for is we have it here. And while some people will be rich and they'll be here, even the poor people will be here. So in other words, what you have with inequality is, is the ability to prosper. So you'd rather have inequality if our society's better off than the society that had equality because it's lower bar. So that's the question. What do you think of that? Right, who wants to speak generally? I apologize if they're naive and lack sophistication in the audience. What I'd like to know is when did we actually put our trust in the Tories? They're all, they're, you know, privately educated, most of them are millionaires. I know I'm being very broad brush here, but Excuse me, I'm an old lefty. Where did the working class, where are we going to take control? Take, you know, I don't think 
equality of opportunity. We don't have to be all the same. It's equality, so it's education and Blair, education, education, education. And they're not going to level us up. It's all talk. Let's get on and let's do it ourselves. Oh. Class, and how are we going oh, okay. The trade unions are now mutual. First person from the audience, very lefty. What do other people think? We got Daniel Benami. Don't be shy about thinking out loud. There's no such thing as a bad question. I won't be shy, so that's fine. Uh, I wanted to uh, well, have a quote of John, but I thought his introduction was actually a model of lucidity and clarity. I mean, I'm not at all being sarcastic, and I really do mean that. But I think there is a fundamental problem with it because I don't think you're attacking what's really being argued by the world's leading politicians. Because it seems to me what they're saying, and I'm talking about you know, Joe Biden, Barack Obama in the past, Boris Johnson, those kinds of people, I don't think they're arguing for a substantial redistribution of wealth. And if they were, you could argue against your lives. I think what they're saying is, oh my God, the world is becoming too unequal. Inequality is widening. Therefore, what we need to do is to take drastic measures to kick in society and keep it under control. So we, you know, the world's leaders, are losing control. Therefore, we need to take lots of measures to kick in society. And I think in failing to really uh, appreciate what they're saying, you actually underestimate the uh, attacks on freedom that are taking place. So, for example, uh, they think that there's a kind of underclass developing. And that class is causing all sorts of disruption and behaving in all sorts of what they regard as disreputable ways. So they take that as license to interfere in the personal lives of all the people. You know, they think they're, they're drinking, uh, you know, drinking alcohol too much and they're eating the wrong kind of stuff and they're having sex in the wrong kind of way. Therefore, because of this uh, winding, uh, because of this society coming out of their control, because they're becoming more and more unequal, they're interfering with the most personal aspects of our private lives. I think that's what we really, really need to take up. We can debate your widening uh, income inequality, that's important, but that's not really what they're arguing, I think. Thank you. So Daniel, Daniel Benemy just thrown a curveball in and taking it a different direction, which is good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my, my granddad's uh, got into private school uh, along scholarship, and his parents couldn't afford the uniform, so he didn't go to it. He ended up being a greengrocer. And that's obviously wrong. I've got some friends, I went to private school, I was dyslexic and then I got state systems, went to private school. At the same time, I've got friends I went to private school who are clearly pretty stupid, but somehow got into university and bumbled their way through different jobs. Some of you might think that about some people in government. That's also wrong, it seems. Is the end goal inequality, not based on wealth, but this perpetual cycle you, you mentioned, is it is the goal in the quality of intelligence? So surely if we have a quality of opportunity and all the, all the smart people going to private schools, sorry, going to good schools, going to university, institutions of power, and then all the stupid people don't and they do poorly paid jobs and then we end up with a different kind of inequality. Is that the goal? That's my question. Good question. Uh, guys, what would you like to do? Don, go on, give us your thoughts. <laughs> I mean, a couple things. So. I said that I probably agree with a lot of people about the concerns they raise within the context of inequality. And indeed, uh, you raised what I think is actually should be our focus, which is not how do we close a gap? Because look, you can close a gap in a lot of really awful ways. You can make everybody poorer, for instance. I think as a society, our main focus and priority should be on how do we move progress ahead 
as fast as possible because historically, what made it so that most of us are not poor, and including even the people who are not going to the top schools and getting the so-called top jobs, most of which they find, you know, or make them miserable. But the the thing that has always driven um, everybody's ability to live well has been just general general human progress and our ability to use technology and low-cost energy to solve new problems. I specifically am uh, very happy you mentioned nuclear, which I think is a, a really important addition. But it's it's representative of the way in which we don't focus on progress anymore, that, that a technology like that is dying instead of growing. So I'm always thinking, like, in terms of the problem of poverty, the problem is not that there's people who are so much rich. It's that we're not having enough progress. And then it, you think about, well, how do you participate in that progress um, I think a lot of why people struggle to participate through no fault of their own is an issue in education, though my solution is probably the opposite of what most of the people in this room believe, which is I believe all education should be private. I don't believe that government should have control over the ideas and values taught to young people. And I think that if you fully liberate education, um, then it has as a side effect uh, the ability of many, many more people to get a good education, because at least in the United States, where I'm more familiar with, what we do to young people in poor neighborhoods is criminal and a tragedy. And I uh, think that that's an unacceptable thing in society. And I actually think that um, getting government out of education goes a long way to solving that problem, though not the full way. Don, let me um, ask a question about your response there. I think you said something like, um, correct me if I got this wrong, that inequality is not the problem. The, the problem is a lack of progress. You need more progress to solve that problem. Am I right that I picked that up correctly? Right. Let me. Can I elaborate in just one sentence? So, like for me, let's say that everybody got ten times better off, but the people at the top got a thousand times better off. The world would be more unequal. But I would really like to live in that world. So that's yeah. how I think about it. So what I'm trying to get at is, and I was teaching in Edmonton, Tottenham, um, year before last great students and love my job but when I used to walk I used to walk through oh, just horrible really terrible housing state dirt dirt poor right and some of the students got love them, were really 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 poor and do you say to those people you know who are really living in a bad way you know financially economically well, well let's wait for progress and what do you say to the student who comes back to say, well, why don't we just take a couple of million of those multi-billionaires right now while we wait on progress to alleviate the problem in the here and now? How would you respond to that? Well, look, it's very easy for me as somebody who did not grow up poor to just go, hey, you know, suck it up, kid, go out and make something your life. But one of my best friends, and I write about him in Equals Unfair, he did grow up in the worst situation that you could ever imagine. I won't go into the details, which are horrifying, but that's his attitude. His attitude is, I worked my way out of it. I sat there, and every job I did, I did it like I was working on Wall Street, even if I was just washing dishes. I, when I went to school, I went to school. When I got home, I did my work. And the point is not that that always solves everything, and there are tragic cases that you know people can't overcome, but the fact is, if you look out, you see people overcome every kind of obstacle. That is possible, and that's why I say we need a, a philosophy of empowerment. It's not about blaming people and, and saying it's your fault that you're in a bad situation or your fault you're poor, but it's still your responsibility to do something about it. And people do that all the time, and I admire those people deeply because I didn't have to come overcome obstacles like that, and I just can't imagine how hard it is. Brilliant. And uh, 
pick up what you want, Hillary, but the Tony Blair question is still hanging if you want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, you, you put your hands there and you said, you know, is it better for us to be, you know, somewhere... Well, I want to be up there, you know. I don't want to be in any of those places. And, and why I would disagree with what the, the, the arguments that Don's put forward is that I do think that, that some people, the... the, the, the um, the, the way in which we reward some people does actually suck the life out of the rest of uh, our abilities to, 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 uh, to, to grow the economy. So I don't know if people have read uh, David Graeber's Bullshit Jobs. And he makes this argument that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are doing jobs that are, are of no value to anybody. Uh, and we need to get rid of all those jobs because if all those people were productively employed doing something sensible, then we wouldn't be growing the cake by, you know, little... Tony Blair bits would be, you know, heading for the ceiling, and that—that that is, I think, where where I would want to to be. Just on the question about, you know, what do we do about it? I mean, I think we need to do some kind of really old-fashioned things, like recognise that things that, um, you know, when we talk about identity politics, recognise that the things that unite us are actually much more important. Um, you know, most people in the UK are three paychecks away from real financial hardship. You know, and that, you know, that's the situation we're all in. And that's a situation that we need to recognise as being something that, that does unite us, does put those other differences into the shadow, and is the basis on which we can work together to change the world. You know, I think we should be a lot more aspirational uh, than, than perhaps we are. And I'm not saying any of that's easy, but, you know, perhaps coming here is a bit of a first step along the way. OK, guys, uh, anybody want to kick in? Points about um, should all education be private. I would go back 150 years with the middle capitalism in the UK. Um, people decided, capitalists and everyone decided to introduce basic state education because they realised that it wasn't profitable uh, to wait for uh, private companies to produce it. I think that the welfare state was introduced by the state. Uh, clean water in the UK, all these kind of things. Uh, after the Second World War, we had huge women um, accounts of the local authority provided accommodation. And all these things happen because capitalism didn't and can't and won't um, produce these things, which are basic necessities for everybody. Um, I don't know who on that Tottenham Council estate, uh, if there wasn't a local primary school and a local secondary school, uh, would get together and produce one. Some people might, and it might educate them into a people. But at, at the industrial levels that we need these services provided in a country with 65 million people, you are never going to, if you wait for the capitalists to do it, it will never happen. Thank you. And uh, we got yourself, sir. Yes. Well, one, one of the things I was picking up on some of the things Hillary said about um, inequality, and actually, it disappoints me constantly that actually the discussion of inequality quite often just gets talked about in terms of, of differences in wealth or differences in income, where to me inequality is much more about what we all have in common. It's about human universalism and, and these ideas of equality have been very much lost in, in modern politics. So, so that was one point I wanted to make. Um, and connected with that, you know, talking about education as well, you know, everyone talks, oh, education's the answer. I mean, I, I am an educator, I work in a university. But, you know, more people go to university 
today than ever in this country, but very few of them get an education. And I, I think this is, this is a real problem. Um, you know, we do our young people a disservice in, in the way that we so-called educate them, because to me, education is teaching people to be independent thinkers who are going to go out there and, and make the future different from the present. It's not actually reproducing the present, and it's, it's not giving people a degree where they go out and end up working for McDonald's. It's, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I wanted to bring up one point um, about education we were talking about in terms of uh, free market versus state. Uh, one thing that comes to mind when I uh, talk about this is um, the beginning of the creation of the United States. And one thing that was important was the Federalist Papers. And the Federalist Papers are very difficult for uh, someone in modern day to read. But back then, when the creation of the United States happened, these were regular texts read by everyday people published in newspapers. And education has digressed so much in recent years because of state intervention and public schools that a modern day person can't read at the same level as someone in the late 18th century. Great. And the Federalist Papers, I think it's fantastically interesting. I've read them. It's a quick point. I mean, there's a ton of people, even in a government-dominated um, education system, trying to provide education. Indeed, one of my best friends runs the largest chain of worldwide Montessori schools, and the whole goal is that we're trying to bring a good education to the world. And why? Because he wants to make a lot of money and because he cares a lot about children. So I think it's exactly what the free market does, is it encourages us to do things that are really valued and valuable. I think I would want to make the argument that there's no difference in practice between leveling up and leveling down. Because it's all relative, isn't it? So you've got a swathe of people in the middle who perceive themselves as losing out relative to them and doing better than them. And these people want to be raised up so they're closer to them, and they sure as hell don't want those below them to be raised up so they're closer to them, right? So if you're looking at it in, in relative terms, you actually do that, and you've leveled, you may have leveled up those people in the middle relative to the people above them, but the people above them have been leveled down, and the people below them have been leveled down as well. Leveling up and leveling down are the same thing. So how do we work out when a person's well off, economically and financially, because of this point that's just been raised? If anybody thinks there's a way of actually, you know, if there's an optimum point when you become happy or you can measure what economically well off is, throw in your tuppence worth, because I think that woman's contribution about it's all relative is really interesting. So I want to actually raise the question about um, I get the sense that in this country, poverty is considered a cultural phenomenon rather than a social one. And the reason I say this is because, um, you know, I've been thinking that um, we, we tend to live in a very kind of, uh, you know, very sort of narrow world of getting all of the things that we do on a daily basis and interacting with people like us all the time. And what does the rest of the world look like? And uh, I happened upon the Kerry Hudson book, Lowborn. And it's a really good book, I don't know if other people have read it, but it's really insightful because it kind of gives you her journey out of poverty. And the way she, and, and she became a very good writer, and she was probably always a good writer, but she just didn't know that. And the reason she got out of her situation, which actually uh, her family had been for generation after generation of uh, poverty, 
uh, was because um, a teacher recognized that she was somebody who had something good in her, that you know, she, was, she could be a good writer, etc. So, um, I guess my, the thing that bothered me is that, uh, you know, and there's other books like this, Shaggy Babies as well, you know, so there's a kind of uh, idea that you can get out of it, but it's down to the individual and some magic that you have inside of you. And so I guess what I'm saying is that surely it's not about individual solutions, it's about you know, something that we need to do as a society because you'll get the ones and twos coming out of poverty, but it's never going to actually get break those generations of poverty. <laughs> This is going to really annoy people who are left wing, so forgive me. So I'm just asking it like um, hypothetically devil's advocate. Is there anything in the idea of people like Charles Murray where we need to face the fact that there's a big chunk of people, working class people, who are factless and not very bright and lazy and their, their parenting skills are degenerate and they bring their kids up like that and they're sitting in the house all day watching TV and not doing anything for themselves uh, and we shouldn't run away from that type of debate? Or is that unforgivable to raise that? Hello, here mate. So apologies if I missed what you said at the beginning, Don. But you made the comment about all schools um, being private or needing to be private. And it, I think that sounds a radical statement on the surface, but in honesty, I don't think it is that, that radical because, in a sense, it's already happened or happening in this country with the increasing academization of schools. And um, as, which, as a result, schools tend to prioritize a business-type leadership and business-type management style, which sometimes I think is the detriment of education. And I, I'm a teacher, I used to work in a, a state school in a, a reasonably poor part of the UK, and, and we had a, a, an amazing headmistress who, who was heavily invested in the town, lived locally, and would have been incredibly committed to the school, but was sadly sacked due to a, a string of uh, three four years of, of poor results. And I think Perhaps all of us in the room can agree that education just doesn't simply come down to having good results at the end of the day. So I said, I'm a teacher. So you may keep me setting up because I now work in the private sector. But <laughs> the key thing here on note of private schools is that one of the things that private schools are often lauded for, and which I wholeheartedly agree with, is the holistic nature of education, the all-round encompassing pastoral nature of what it means for students to be educated. And surely the state can have a much bigger role to play here, for example, in the development of, say, social services, libraries, key institutions that can do the one thing that I, I believe makes, makes education meaningful, which is ultimately making children interested in learning. That doesn't just come from schools. I think that also comes from the wraparound effect of a whole wide variety of social services in this country, which the state can have a lot more um, money for and a lot more interest in. Thank you very much. During the pandemic, I think we all agree, there's been a massive transfer of wealth from poor, lower income to rich. Yeah. And I don't know why that's happened. That's probably more just structural issues about the way that the economy is organised. But it seems pretty unfair to me. It does not sit comfortably with me. But I think what you're saying is, guys, that's it. Tough shit. Get on with it. It's pretty balanced. Just accept the way it is. Is that what you're saying? Um, brilliant. Hilary. Okay, so um, uh, on a few points. Um, I, I disagree with Don when he says, you know, the free market encourages, encourages people to do things that are valued. Because I think if you, know, if you look at the kind of jobs that, that I think are important, care, uh, refuse collection, you know, things that are really important to everyday life, very, very poorly paid. Whereas, you know, you look at some things that, that you would say, you know, don't really 
uh, take society forward at, at all. Uh, swapping bits of paper, uh, fund management, uh, that kind of stuff. Very, very highly paid. You know, so how how do you square that with the idea that um, you know the, the free market works to encourage uh, the right things? Just on the role of the state, I think it's really interesting that the state seems to me to be backing out of a lot of the things that really are the duty of the state. Uh, so, you know, privatisation of prisons, for example. You know, even using, you know, private contractors to, to do defence work. That, that seems to me, you know, areas where the state really should be there. But at the same time, the state is regulating things that, to me, it has no business regulating. You know, what kind of power uh, can private or, or, uh, companies use? Um, so I think that we do need to talk about the role of the state. I, I'm not a, some, somebody who believes the state needs to do everything, but I think it needs to do the things that it should be doing. It needs to butt out of the things that it has no business in. Um, on the uh, lump of proletariat question that you, you raised, Kevin, you know, and, and I think it, I, don't, I don't think we should back away from the fact that there are people who who are pretty lazy and aren't contributing much to society. And I think you know one of the things that we should be doing is is looking at our welfare state and deciding how it can help people better. Uh, but to me, the bigger scandal is the fact that we've got two million people on in-work benefits. You know, so we are subsidising businesses to pay poor wages. That that that's to me a, a, a bigger scandal uh, about you know how we can better use resources uh, to to give people opportunities out of uh, you know those those uh, those uh, dark places thank you Don. well let me address the the payment part because it's not as if a salary is kind of a judgment of society on the value of a particular role all income that we get come from other people and they pay us whenever that particular relationship is of value to them and so my wife, for instance, was a teacher and then a librarian. And it, I don't think the fact that teachers, you know, only make, you know, in U.S. dollars, you know, let's call it forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, um, is a judgment that teaching is not important. It's the fact that there's a lot more people who are willing and able to teach, and that they're providing value to a fewer number of individuals, say, than somebody like Jeff Bezos who starts Amazon and creates a revolutionary technology that's providing daily value to billions of people. And so it's the it's the scale of value creation that's really at question. And like, I think my job is really, really valuable, but it's not valued by people. Um, the, there's not billions of people willing to give me money for my books. Indeed, there's not millions of people willing to give me money for my books. So I, I, I don't, I think you have to disentangle um, like a moral judgment from a level of income. It's what people voluntarily and individually choose to do with their money that determines the outcomes uh, that we see when we look at raw numbers. Um, in terms of the pandemic, I don't think there was a transfer of wealth. I think there was an de obscene destruction of wealth and a tragic destruction of wealth, um, both because of the disease, but in large part because of government policy that didn't leave us, that didn't allow us to freely figure out how to adapt to this dangerous disease. And that certainly in the United States um, was, the whole thing was utterly botched by the government time and time again, making things far worse than they had to be. So I think it was a real tragedy what happened. And uh, so, no, my view is not, hey, that's the breaks of the free market. My view is, no, that is horrific decision-making by a lot of people inside and indeed, in many cases, outside of government. Thank you. 
brilliant, fantastic. I'm going to go out for the last roundup. But the two guys were speaking about education, the fellow on the island, the private school guy. Um, yeah. And um, I'm a teacher myself. And why, why I find your two points interesting was because when you talk about why don't state schools do more of a holistic education like we do in private schools, what I find is you, you get a lot of pressure from not only working class parents, but I really, a lot of black working class parents, you know, I speak to them in the chat, good, good people. And what they keep saying to me, never mind this or that, teach them to the exam. They need that friggin' level nine in the GCC. They need that friggin' A star. Because my son or my daughter, I want them to go to such and such university to get a well-paid job. And so that's a really interesting tension that's pressing up, which I don't think you get as much in a private school. Now, I'll, don't get me wrong, the rich people won't be happy if little whoever, Patrick or Bridget, don't get a very good uh, grade. But nonetheless, I think it's a bit different. And your point was really interesting because you, you said the problem is people see schools as just trying to teach to the exam and why don't you just teach the rich culture of all that humanity has left before Stanley's shoulders of giants. I've been thinking about that for years. And can I tell you something? I'm coming around to the position now. Can you friggin' blame all the parents for saying, let the school just be an engine of social mobility? Because the people who believe in the idea of teaching the best that's been thought and said knowledge for its own sake need to get a lot better at their argument. Now, I'm sorry if I don't make sense to people, but your two points I think are interesting because it's the tension, can you use education to reduce inequality? Or is that what a school's for or not? Final points. My question is, will, will the levelling up of the north and elsewhere in the country have a levelling down effect on London and the southeast? Great, simple question, I like it. Yeah, I just want to take up the notion that there was no transfer of wealth in the way which the government dealt with the crisis. In the United States, both administrations printed trillions and trillions and trillions. In the UK, billions and billions. And I was sitting at home and looking where this money was going. Some of the money did go to the poor people who were forced to stay home and they didn't have a wage. I agree with it. But most of the money went into the stock market. They went into the people who own houses. And these are the people who are already rich. Because if you invest money in the stock market, you are rich. You're not a normal working class guy. And if you own a house in this country, you are actually rich. So I was really angry because I was working day and night. And somebody who had a house, the government, will give them 3,000, 30,000 pounds just to move house. And who are these people? The middle classes, the upper classes. So don't come and tell me that I was not transfer the wealth in this country. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to uh, make um, a couple of points because uh, we keep hearing the term um, the free market. And um, I always point out to my children when we speak about the free market that the free market isn't actually free. It's like saying, um, you know, the Federal Reserve is uh, works on behalf of the government in the US. It doesn't. It works on behalf of itself because it's a business. This free market um, uh, that we have at the moment is a, is a system just... Um, constructed by what I call um, errant capitalists to maintain the status quo. And so uh, you have an example of this, for example, when, um, I think it's, it's Hillary, uh, when Hillary mentioned about the two million people who were literally subsidised uh, in work because of the way in which that system is, is constructed. And I ask myself this question, is that by accident or is it by design? But this system, though, even though on the surface you say that it's capitalism, it's not capitalism as 
first four. This is, this is something um, entirely different. It's a manipulation of the system as we see it. So for me, it's not a surprise when the ripple effects of this system then turns out to be uh, completely negative. You know, we simply want, when I, as I said, I always refer to my children, um, we simply wanted uh, for ourselves uh, equality of opportunity. That is it, just equality of opportunity. I don't see this happening because this system is designed that way. The problem is the system itself. And uh, unless, we, unless we get to the root of that and say that what we effectively need is a root and branch, changing the system, the way in which capitalism is constructed, we can speak for as long as we like, things are not going to change. I'm sorry for being pessimistic. Thank you for that point. Hilary, you've got 30 seconds. Leave us with your final thought, and then Dawn, leave us with your 30-second final thought. So I, I guess my, my answer to the questions about levelling up, and is it, is it, is it levelling down, is that um, the, the biggest problem I think we have both on equality and in, you know, levelling up in terms of the, the geographical things in the UK, is a scepticism towards growth. And that, I think, is the, the thing that we really need to tackle if we are going to make more for everybody. Interesting final point. Thank you. Dawn. Well, I think I'll just end by saying I largely agree with a lot of the points you made. My view of the system in the United States and the UK and worldwide is capitalism does not exist. We have a system that has some elements of freedom, some elements of government control. And I think that there are systemic restrictions on people's ability to rise. I think that there's propping up of people who get in bed with government, get special favors. I did misspoke when I completely said there was no transfer of wealth. I think you raised some good uh, points about that, and I take that back. So no, I think there's a lot of rampant injustice, and there's a lot of problems that need to be solved, and we need a radical reform. But in my view, it's probably the radical direction, uh, the opposite of yours, which is I'm a proponent of laissez-faire capitalism, which is what I think the system is that allows people to rise even if unequally, better and faster and more humanely than any other system. Give them a round of applause, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Battlefest podcast. You can support us by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review. Check back next week for more recordings from the Battle of Ideas Festival 2021.